Hey there, and uh, welcome to the Patch Bay. Uh, I'm Mikhail, and... This is Pags. And uh, yeah, we're uh, we're here to give you your uh, weekly, monthly dose of uh, Audio Gear Nerddom. Nice. Why don't we uh, Why don't we start with uh, Why don't we start with our favorite segment, uh, gas, our uh, gear acquisition syndrome? Ah, uh, what uh, What What did you pick up this week? Oh, good lord! Um, do we have to? <laughs> I think we do. So yeah, well, this thing that I'm speaking into right now, uh, I got the Heil PR40, mm. which is uh, kind of like a uh, studio slash broadcast style mic. Uh, it's dynamic. Uh, and I picked up a bunch of other mics as well. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. Um, some of them I'm not actually keeping. I'm just uh, passing them on to uh, other folks because um, I don't need them. But uh, it was like an estate sale kind of thing. So there was a vintage mic in there that I wanted to pick up because I was uh, I've never used one of them before. It was a, a AKG D1000E and it came with uh, some other like cheap shore and uh samson mics so are you doing any treatment on this microphone right now because it sounds great so right now i'm going into my la 610 and i have barely any compression going on right now but like no eq this is like oh no flat frequency yeah, no off no the eq no anything this is just the mic into the pre and when i get a little loud i get about maybe two or three db of compression very cool and what yeah. what is that what does that mic retail for I'm only asking because I've never, I've, I don't yeah, know it at all, I, and it sounds great. I want to say, it's about 350 uh, without shock mount okay. or anything like that. Cool. Um, the shock mount. So it's not exactly a budget mic. I mean, it sounds good, and it costs appropriate yeah. to have, um, have you know, it's, it's up there with, like, the the RE20 and the uh, SM7B, so, yeah. yeah. Um, Our RE20, by the way, which is what I'm recording there you on go. Uh, yep. this week. Yeah. Cool. What about you? Did you pick up any uh, new shenanigans this week? I did. I did. I uh, I think since the last time uh, we recorded, uh, I finally picked up the FabFilter Pro C2 compressor. Okay, nice. And I've been playing around with it uh, quite a bit. It lives up to its name. It sounds fantastic. It's got a whole bunch of different compression modes in it. Um, I've been really liking the vocal compression mode. Mm. Um, I do editing and production work on a couple of podcasts, and that plug-in replaced a couple of other compressors for me so really? i've been yeah yeah been okay. really really happy with it um and i think it's going to tie into some of the other stuff uh i want to talk about with you today okay um cool because i uh, i kind of tried to step out of my comfort zone mixing wise uh very recently and i kind of thought hey wouldn't it be crazy if i tried to use like only fab filter stuff to mix a song mm. and i mostly was able to do it uh, with the pro c2 being the pretty much only compressor on this um kind of country waltz track okay uh yeah it, it it worked out pretty cool so yeah fab filter pro c2 huge endorsement from me i really really like it as i love pretty much all of the other fab filter stuff so it did not disappoint nice nice i mean like name something that fab filter makes that doesn't sound good i, I i'll wait <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I i got i got nothing yeah i got nothing every every time i uh look at one of their plugins and i'm like yeah do i really need another compressor do i really need another reverb but it's just their stuff sounds great and you know what their interfaces are second to none right interfaces you know? oh uh, well you talk about the graphical interface yeah yeah, yeah okay. the, the the actual user i was like wait a minute they make interfaces user interface yeah. okay gotcha <laughs> Uh, yeah, man, the, 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 the actual like GUI of their plugins is second to none. I mean, the idea that like, for example, in their pro Q3 that you could with one hand be adjusting the gain, the frequency and the Q shape. Right. Just by nature of 
you know, where your mouse is and using the middle mouse wheel. It's incredible. It's exactly that thing that everybody was always saying like, oh, well, I worked so much faster in analog because I had two hands that could adjust two settings at once. Well, you know, they're listening. Mm -hmm. Well, not only that, but uh, they pretty much found the sweet spot for GUIs as far as EQ goes. I haven't touched the compressor yet. I mean, I have the L2, but uh, I have noticed that other plug-in manufacturers have kind of started to copy them so yeah uh, absolutely you know it's one of those things where you know when you find the right formula and it just makes sense i mean you know people are going to rip you off number one but if it makes sense it makes sense i mean there's no reason to reinvent the wheel once the perfect round one has been found so exactly no they're they're absolutely doing something right and you know people are taking notice indeed yeah why don't we just jump right into the thing that uh i've been really eager to talk with you about Mm. um which is uh i think very specifically our different approaches to mixing starting from uh my love for using a mix template which i will you know be uh i will i will put out there and say it's always evolving and always changing but I do have a, a huge love for using a mix template, and you do not. Yeah, I, I don't believe in them <laughs> at all. Well, they exist, man. You know, it's... I, I, I'm not saying they don't exist. I just don't <laughs> believe in them. Um, it's not. I don't believe they don't exist. I just don't believe in using them. Um, I, I have a, a different philosophy when approaching a mix that than you do, but your projects tend to have much stricter deadlines, and well. you, you tend to have a little bit more. Uh, you know, time constraints when it comes to certain things. My projects tend to be a little bit more relaxed and I can kind of take some time with it. But that being said, I mean, I have had projects where it's like, all right, this has got to get done, but yeah, I still don't believe in them. I don't even think that it's a time thing for me. I mean, t- tell me what it is you don't like about them and tell me, I think maybe go over a little bit like in, in brief how you prefer to work and why you think a template would be antithetical to that way of working so my brain is broken um (laughs) (laughs) i think i think to get into this industry both of ours had to be um but yeah no my my brain is broken and when i approach something to me i approach well here's the weird thing so if i tracked something and i'm going to mix it it's kind of a different approach sort of than Mm -hmm. if somebody sends me a track to mix Mm -hmm. so it's a slight different you know kind of thing but not Really, both ways, I still don't use templates. I don't even know how to explain it to you. So when I listen to a track, like if even if it's something that I did track, in fact, I have a I have an album that um, I have to mix right now. Um, I have to get it done within like two weeks. Uh, it's 12 tracks. Mm. Actually, mm-hmm. 10 that I have to mix. Two of them, there's nothing to mix. It's just a two-track live <laughs> thing that, you know, there's nice. really nothing you can do with except for a little bit of tweak on the EQ and some compression, whatever. But sure, um, sure. there's no actual tracks to mix. It's just yeah, a matter yeah, yeah. of it's much more. It's almost, it's almost more of a mastering job. Yeah, essentially. Those, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So I got these ten tracks that I got to, and I I track them, so I know exactly what I'm dealing with. Um. I've been cleaning up as I go, so like you know that kind of stuff I don't have to really deal with. But I have a you know what I call my board mix. Um for, you know, what the client gets after we finish tracking and everything like that. So he's able to take it and listen to it, blah, blah, blah. Um, Mm -hmm. What I will do is now go into that mix and save it as, you know, a new thing. That way I'm not losing any previous mixes or anything. And then I'll strip the entire session pretty much just completely down to zero. Like no plugins, no anything, Mm -hmm. no automation, no panning, no anything. And I will start from dead scratch, zero, nothing, and work on 
what it is I feel like I need to work on first. So like, you know, any kind of, you know, pop stuff, I usually start with drums, you know, sure. any, any kind of rock pop, like anything like that. Actually, almost all music, I start with drums for some reason, except for hip hop. I have a weird thing that I do with hip hop, but that's, <laughs> that's a, you know, rap, hip hop, anything like that, trap, that kind of stuff. Um, I'll actually start with the, vo- I'll, I start I'll, with the I'll vocal. I'll chime in by the way with a- with a couple of with a couple of notable exceptions, just from project to project, every once in a while, I also almost always start with drums. Okay, yeah, I mean that that seems to yeah. be kind of a standard thing that most people do. Um, you know, drums and bass, totally. you get the you get you mm-hmm. know you get the rhythm working, and then like everything else kind of falls into place on top of it or into it or whatever it is that needs to happen. And and an interesting way, you're also building actually from the free, you're building bottom up from the rhythm section to the lead instruments. And you're also frequency wise building from the bottom frequencies to the top because you're you're establishing base, your base, right? But yep. exactly, yeah. And then you know everything goes on on top of that. I mean, the project that I'm working on right now is yep. mainly it, it's a lot of vocal stuff, a lot of acoustic guitar, some drums here and there, some you know a lot of other you know weird uh, synthy instruments, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. you, you'll be hearing quite a bit of it <laughs> in the coming, <laughs> uh, in the coming week or so. Um, I'd have it no, but way. yeah. So like for me, um, this project, every song is different. Like there's songs mm-hmm. on this album that are very country, very folky. Um, there are some that sound like yacht rock. There are some that sound like mm-hmm. a, like an acid rock kind of thing or some weird sixties mm. kind of thing. So for me, the thought of, you know, starting from a template, it's just kind of doesn't make sense because I'm going to have to approach each song completely different. And I can almost guarantee that most of the tools, with the exception of like the fab filter EQs, um, <laughs> with, you know, with the exception of those, um, I don't think I'm going to wind up using the same tools on anything in this entire record. Mm hmm. And not only that, but I also mix with a ton of hardware. So that's true. That's you do. You do. Different. And and I do as well, mm-hmm. but also have a, a very different, uh, a very different approach to my use of hardware than you do. Do you really? Absolutely. Um, most of the knobs on several pieces of my hardware don't ever move because I need everything to be instantly recallable. What really changes is like how hard I'm driving my compressor. So I'm using like, for example, for my compressors, I'm, I'm only changing the threshold knob. Mm-hmm. And even then what I'm doing more than anything else is changing the send in Pro Tools so that I don't even have to touch the threshold okay. knob only because I need things to be recallable down the line. Right. And I'm usually working on multiple songs and jumping between them. So like if I'm working on a 10 song record, I might mix five songs i might be like bouncing between the songs kind of like you know work on a song until i get bored and then jump to another Mm -hmm. tune and i need everything to be able to click right back into place you know like i'm on a digital mixer basically i mean i have a couple of pieces that like that my clarifonic i don't think i've touched the settings on it um the only thing that i touch on it every once in a while is like the uh whatever those ff switches are to basically so you can hear what is going on like I'll listen to it uh-huh. to hear like you know what I'm affecting, and then I turn it back on. Like it's yep. there's just yep, no yep, reason yep. to touch it. Another piece that I have, I think, is my uh, my bus compressor for my drums, my uh, my Pi compressor. Mm-hmm. I, I think I pretty much set that like after I got the thing, and I don't think I've had to touch it ever since. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like there's always the chance that somebody's gonna walk by it and uh, you know hit one of the knobs and yep. screw everything up, but. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. We should, we should really get some knob covers uh, for oh. our gear. Just, you know, like those plastic. Oh, God, those things are <laughs> so ugly. I, I know, I know. Oh, um, terrible. Well, so it's interesting. So you basically, you strip away and you start every song essentially fresh. Yes, from zero. That's really interesting. So I don't. I don't do that. I I work from a template. I love my template. Um, and I'll tell you my, what my template consists of. And that is uh, my template consists of drums. So it has, you know, my kick in, my kick out, right. a kick bus, snare top, snare bottom, right. uh, like 10 different tracks of snare samples, which will never all be used at once. They're, they're kind of there as tools when I need them. Like, they're all completely different sounds, like, okay. you know, a very dead tight snare, like a roomy snare, uh, just reverb send snare, um, this old like super rock snare that I made years ago that I really like the sound of. Um, and then like the rest of the close mics that I would have, my overheads, two sets of room mics. I all, I very often record drums in a similar way. And when I get stuff to mix from other people, they're doing one of a couple of different things. And I've just found that if I kind of have a basic treatment up for those things, mm-hmm. I have to make fewer decisions down the line. So so I have those. Okay. So my template consists of those drums. And then um, the other thing that it consists of is uh, all of my returns. So it has all of my reverb returns. So I have like a 224 setting, a 480 setting, like a hall, a plate, okay. um, a spring, uh, like an eighth note delay. And the uh, EMT 250 that's fed by an eighth note delay, like just like a couple of go-to settings right. that I find I'm usually reaching for. Okay. And I just know that if I have them pre-made, that's fewer decisions. So like, I, you know, I mean, how many 4ADL, Lexicon 4ADL plugins does each of us own? Oh, you God. know what I mean? Like yeah. trying to decide which 4ADL haul I want to load up well, uh, yeah. <laughs> is brain power that I don't want to use. Because if I just have that decision made for me, like, dude, they all they all kind of do the same damn thing. Yeah, for the most you part. You know what I mean? Like, I love the UAD lexicon. I, right. you know, I love the uh, Native Instruments lexicon. Uh, I love the Reverb Foundry stuff. Man, they'll all give you a lexicon verb. Like, they'll right. all give you a lexicon hall of reverb. You know what I mean? But doing this preset where I load this preset with all these returns, I don't have to open that you know, horrifying Pandora's box of my plugins folder where I go to reverbs and there's like 80 plugins that dropped. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I I know the feeling. Um, And and to be clear, like when I talk about templates, um, I don't have a vocal template. I don't have a guitar template. Like the only thing in there really is it gets me to where I need to be to get the behemoth on on any mix, which is the drums usually, right? Because that's that's the thing where you're taking you know, anywhere from four to 20 different microphones and sound sources and combining them together to make one unit. Right. And that's the thing that, you know, is usually the first big hill that needs to be conquered. And to my ears always, like, that's the difference between a really good professionally sounding produced and mixed record is how good do the drums sound? Yes. I mean, you know, and good obviously is a, you know, is a, is a subjective term, but like, do the drums fit the production? Mm -hmm. Um, and look, I'm not saying that I'll actually do the same thing every time, but what I am saying is that when I load up my kick in, my kick out, um, and I have got like, let's just, you know, stay in the kick mics for a second. Like I've got my um, kick bus that, you know, sums those two tracks mm-hmm. um, so I can process them together. And then I have, you know, I've got my EQs already preloaded. Like I have my uh, Pro-Q3 from FabFilter. I've got my Neve EQ for like a little bit of that uh, flavor. I've got my Slate VMR already preloaded with the virtual uh, console that I know I'm going to use. Okay. Um, and, you know, and there's a tape plugin in there. And the thing is that 
I don't always use the same plugins every time, but having that those tools already available to me, it kind of feels like working on an analog console. You know, I cut my teeth at Carechest Studios mm, in uh, Connecticut, and uh, there they have a beautiful SSL 4000 console there. Yep. And we used to, you know, when I worked there, we used to mix completely on the desk. And what would happen is I would send a track to the desk and I would immediately have my SSL EQ. I would have my compressor right. and I would have my uh, reverbs already patched into the board. I right. had four reverb sends. I had my plate, my EMT, uh, and I had two, my two sides of my EMT uh, 480 and then like a third send that I would maybe like return back into Pro Tools or whatever. But it's just like, I think this, what I do is like an extension of that workflow where where I have certain things preset for me so I don't have to ask the question of, oh, which compressor is going to go on this uh, snare drum? That's already answered for me based on a lot of mixes that I've done in the past where I've kind of noticed, oh, I keep reaching for X compressor. For me, the, the one that's usually on my snare uh, is the uh distressor uh the ua distressor and then i have like for example on my overheads i'm almost always using the, the i gotta red, pick that up the the uad yeah the, the distressor is great i have a real distressor mm. i use the ua one all the time i uh i think i have the slate one and uh i i wasn't a big fan of it uh i have the slate one as well gotta tell you they sound very similar yeah yeah, you, you may mm. just not be a fan of the distressor, which is, you know, totally fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to use the hardware also, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, there's, there's different ways to get to the same result, so. No, totally. And I'm, I'm not, I'm also, by the way, totally not calling out um, your approach that like your approach to mixing is wrong. I actually really commend what you do because you sort of start from, you know, starting from nothing, you know, you kind of have to work harder to get there, but y- you know, you may find you may find your approach changing session to session, whereas my approach to drums, for example, and reverbs is largely the same each time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that I think it's like mechanical or anything, but it just gets me to my result faster. Well, uh, I'm going to say one thing, because like, I'm not lying that I say I don't use templates, but like for recording, mm-hmm. uh, if, I, if I have a band in and I know we're going to be doing like 10, 12, 15 tracks, whatever it is, I will set up a recording template mm-hmm. so that way oh, when sure. I open a session up, it's just, okay, I got all of my tracks already laid out. The inputs are set. Sure. I mean, I so many damn inputs here that who knows what decided to use that particular day. I mean, for the most part, I, I use the same. Actually, I shouldn't even say that because depending on what type of music it is, I'll use different preamps. I'll use different right. mics. Right. Um, but uh that's pretty much the only time that I do use a template. But for me, I mean, going into just the snares, for instance, there are times when I really feel like going with like a a 76A and getting like that dirtier kind of, you know, crunch to it, that makes what I need to do. Or sometimes I want something a little bit cleaner and I'll use something completely different. Or sometimes I'll use the hardware. Sometimes I'll use the software versions of the same piece right. of hardware that's sitting behind right. me. And it's like, all right, well, what what causes those decisions and what makes me make those decisions, I honestly couldn't tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel that it takes me any more or less time to to do that. I mean, I totally get where you're coming from with that aspect of it. Um, but for me, like I kind of make those game time decisions during the game, <laughs> like right. you're, you're, you're preparing for it and you know, you're also getting through what you got to get through a lot faster because that stuff is already kind of set up for me. I'm kind of taking 
and I don't mean this in any kind of, you know, disrespectful way, but I'm kind of taking more of like an artsy farty kind of approach to it where it's like, all right, well, you know, maybe this track, I want the drums to kind of sound like they're in a cave or like, you know, uh, you know, distant field drum kind of sound or something like that. And I just couldn't see myself going with a template to try, you know, if I did a template, I would wind up having a deconstructed template before I would have to, you know, start anyway. So like, I guess that's kind of where, where my head is at on that. But the point that I'll make is that I feel that the tools that I have set up, and I think I mentioned, I have like 10 different, uh, snare uh, snare samples in the session. Most of the time they don't even get used. Like, but every once in a while Mm -hmm. I'll be like, Oh, I want this to sound a little bit more, you know, now let me ask you a question. When you load that up, are they active? Are they they inactive? Like how, how does that what what does that look like when you pull that open? The beginning of the the beginning of the session is yeah, everything is active, but in, the first thing I do immediately unless I'm sure that I'm going to use one of the samples is mm-hmm. uh drag them to where I want them in the hierarchy of the tracks, which is usually right. sitting right below the uh, Whatever it is. top and bottom right. mic. And then I hide and make all of those inactive. And then when I need them, when I need those specific uh, specific change, uh, uh, specific chains of um, samples followed by all of their effects and mm-hmm. and compression, whatever. Then I'll I'll enable it and and boom, it's there and ready for me. Right. And all I have to do is drag a, a snare, uh, the snare waveform down to it, and and you know I've got a slate trigger that's triggering all of the sounds and I've got different, different presets and yeah. And then each, you know, each one of those will also have its own like set of EQs, compressors and, and sends to my various, my various things. What I'll say too, though, is uh, to your point, like I, I agree with you that, that every mix should sound different and by and large, um, I feel that I get a pretty different sounding drum mix from that template song to song, largely based on, well, the drummer's going to play it differently. I'm probably using different mics to record them. If I didn't record them, the sounds are going to be completely different anyway. Right. Um, and those templates and those presets, um, I shouldn't even call them presets because they're settings that I made that you know I noticed have been working pretty well song to song. Those settings are there to be changed. You know, I will very often you know either zero things or or change attack and release times. A lot of the like compression and EQ that gets loaded in the eq will you know dramatically change song to song it's all very subtle stuff too like none of it is completely game changing um there are a couple of like heavy-handed things on the kick and snare that usually get turned off and occasionally will uh get turned on depending on the song um you know it's just nice to be able to like have quick access to these things again like i very much equate it to mixing on like an ssl board um when i'm mixing on that board i know that i'm using i know what preamp i'm using i know what compressor i'm using i know what set of reverbs i'm using for every channel because i'm limited based on what's what's on the hardware so it's just it's like a it's like a nice way to not have to open that pandora's box of uh plug-in folders uh to try and decide you know, I spend less time deciding what compressor to use and more time deciding how I want the thing to sound. And in the occasion that what I've loaded doesn't do the trick, then yeah, of course, I'll turn that plug-in off, I'll load something else. Um, But the stuff that I'm using, I feel like is flexible enough to give me almost anything that I need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's weird because, like, you seem to have, like, a a thing where you are, are, contemplating this decision of like what to use and for me as soon as i hear something i know okay that's gonna that's gonna get this 
or sure. I, I hear something different and I know, okay, that's going to get that. Like, I don't ever consciously sit there and be like, oh, should I use this? Should I use that? Like, is it, is this going to be better? Is that going to be better? I don't think that ever crosses my mind. <laughs> um, to me, it's just more of like, oh, you know what? This song is dirty. I'm going to go with these sets of tools that are going to give me a dirtier sound or, you know, a different sound, whatever it is that I'm going for with it. Do I wind up pulling the same kind of stuff every so often for similar kind of stuff? Yeah, of course. I think everybody does. But to me, it's not even a, it's not a conscious decision for me, almost. It's just a matter of like, oh, that's the sound. Okay, that's what I'm going for and pull it up. That's, you know, and that's where I'm at. I like, I don't think I consciously use brain power to figure that out, but I don't know. It's well, I, I think even the subconscious piece of it, to me, feels like it, it, you know, it might be like another decision that, you know, you can save that decision making power on something more important. Um, I know it's like, it's a weird concept, right? I, yeah, I think cause I like, got, I, I don't know, do you run out of decision power? <laughs> I mean, well, like, you know I, what? There, there are a lot of people that really theorize that you do. I, I was really, really? I dude, know. yeah, no, I'm, I'm dead serious. I was reading this, um, really interesting, uh, article by, uh, by a modern psychologist who was talking about like the, this was like 10 years ago. This is what kind of when I started using the template, I was reading this article and he was talking about like the habits and traits of you know, like really high functioning, uh, brilliant people. And, you know, he was flagging like Steve Jobs and Albert Einstein in this where they, those two people should never well, be put in the same bucket. But anyway, <laughs> agree go Agree to disagree. Um, <sighs> you know, listen, listen, I'll defend that Jobs was a visionary. I will. Um, and I think he was a brilliant mind. But, uh, you know, one thing that you do find very often with uh, brilliant people is that there are things like, for example, they'll wear very similar clothes day to day. Uh, Steve Jobs could have dressed himself in the dark because he always wore the same jeans and a uh, black turtleneck. Man, I really wish I, I could find this article and send it to you. But basically, the crux of the whole thing was every single decision you make in the day reduces your ability to objectively look at other decisions. Like you, Your brain only has the ability to decide between A and B so many times and be effective before you need rest again. And you're looking at me like I'm a crazy person, but I swear to God, this is, you know, yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't think I've ever run into that threshold. I, yeah, listen, I, I firmly believe this. Is, I don't know that I've ever run into that threshold, in the, but, but the either, but the problem is that I think, I don't know whether we would know that we've run into that threshold. Oh, no, you, you definitely know when you get tired. Oh, but, sure. I mean, I don't, I don't think that I've ever run into a situation where like my brain was, to the point where I didn't feel like I could make a decision. And if I do feel like I'm at that point of um, tiredness and, and again, completely separate from being able to make a decision, I'm, you know, talk about ear fatigue, like more of that oh, kind sure. of stuff. I think, I think I'd run into that way quicker than I would run into getting to the point where I couldn't make a decision, uh, even an artistic decision. I just think like those two things are so far apart for me, at least that I don't, I don't think the two things would, ever you know, collide. listen, they, they could be, um, th- I'm just telling you, you know, the theory, and this really stuck with me that like the more, the more decisions that you can eliminate, the more you can focus on the questions that really matter. 
you know, and to me, I just kind of realized in my mixing that I was doing like a lot of things fairly similar song to song. I was using a lot of the same tools and mm-hmm. just setting up something like a template was a quick way to answer the question of like, what compressor is going on this snare drum? You know, what, you know, mm-hmm. what, how do I want to make this, you know, what samples do I want to load to get X thing? You know, like I, right. I don't personally have an infinite amount of different, uh, an infinite amount of different drum sample sounds that I want to integrate into a, into a mix. It's really like one of four or five things if I want to do it, right. because I'm usually trying to fix some problem. Well, right there, you've already cut down your choices, so to speak. Sure. That right there, you know, speaks to what you're just talking about in that, you know, <laughs> you've, you've consciously cut down the amount of decisions that you're going to make by saying, okay, I'm only going to go to these four, six, whatever it is in that. But to me, like, okay, do you ever find yourself saying, okay, I've gone through these four, none of these are working? I mean, every once in a while, it's rare. Usually, usually like the things that I'll load up, like the options that I have for me, this is why I use the template, right? And this is why the stuff Mm -hmm. that's in the template is in there. When I, when, and this is actually how the template evolves, right? When I load up something and I'm mixing something and I go, okay, I'm not getting what I want out of the raw snare sound. Okay, let's go to my, uh, let's go to my samples. Okay, I'm not getting what I want out of my pre-created samples. Then I'll find you know, I'll, I'll start then going through my sample banks and trying to find something that really fits the song. And if I find something that really fits the song and I go, oh, wow, this is achieving something that none of my other sample uh, samples in the template, like none of my other sample tracks in the template are achieving, that will then get added to the template for future use. You know what I mean? Because it okay. will take me, you know, a couple of minutes to recreate that sound. But if it's already in the template, I can call it up in half a second. You know, right. and then boom, it's done. Move on to, you know, doing the other things. Like I, I'm just not a fan of resetting chains and recreating things from the ground up. If I don't have to, if I know what I want, you know, I, I think actually mm-hmm. we're coming at it from a very similar place because you, you keep talking about like, I hear something and I know what I want that thing to do. I feel the exact right. same way. I'm just leaning on similar tools and I want those tools loaded and available to me at the drop of a hat rather than having to go through and manually doing and doing all of my routings, you know, because the other thing that the template provides is that it puts all of the drums into a folder and then routes them to an aux track and has a couple of bus processing things that I'll usually alter, but they're at least there and the routing's there. And it's just, you know, it's, it's session prep. It's just saving me a few minutes. um, And all of that time adds up, you know? Oh, definitely. Um, again, and I think that kind of goes back to you and, you know, a lot of the deadlines that you have, uh, not being the same as, you know, what I'm faced with a lot of times. Mm. Um, yeah, where, you know, those seconds will add up for you and, you know, that could be the difference between, you know, this getting delivered on Thursday or Friday. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. You know, for me, it's, you know, for me, it's like, all right, well, you know, they get it Monday or Friday. (laughs) Like, you know, it's, to me, it's just more like, okay, the song is done when it's done. Um, I I usually try not to put myself into situations where there is a strict deadline. I mean, it happens. Mm -hmm. I'll get called by like, you know, I get other studio, local studios send stuff over to me for uh, mixed jobs and stuff. And they're like, oh, you know, this guy's got to get this to the label in like two days. And I'm like, really dude? Like, you give me two days before. Don't, don't you like, love when seriously? people do that to you? When you're like, you're like the last call because you got to rescue something. <laughs> it's just like, <sighs> why did you just call me in the first place? Like we would have had a better time. You would have saved money and you would have had no stress. 
dude i mean i've i've sent you that work yes <laughs> yeah you know when when i've i've been fed up enough that i'm just not going to even deal with them anymore hey i got this great guy up in connecticut why don't you give him a call um and, and you know what it 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 works because honestly i you know if i'm that frustrated with something i'm not going to do a good job right. i know i'm not going to do a good job and uh if i don't really have the vibe going with uh the the client it's just not a good situation all around. You're fresh to it. You yeah. know, you, you have a completely different look and, and outlook and, and rapport with the person or people or whatever it is. And it's kind of a fresh start for everybody. And I think sometimes that's a better choice for both the engineer and the artist yeah. to say, okay, you know what? Yeah, we've come to you for other things. You know, if I'm not feeling the particular artist or whatever and you know you're you're available and you're good to go on it you know what by all means you know have at it like do your thing you know if if they decide to come to you later on down the road it's no skin off of my apple I, you know whatever it is but you know it's it's those clients are usually the ones that are constantly doing something like yeah. that where it's like oh i went to this other studio we recorded it sounds like crap can you fix it it's like well, why didn't you just come here? I, I remember one like that. That just angers dude, me, dude. <laughs> I I feel the same way. I mean, I in the last couple of years, I've had a lot of situations where I've gotten work from somebody, and I felt like I was rescuing a project. And then what would happen is like the next song or something we would do together, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah this is so this is so much better." And then I would hear that, okay, they're going to go back to this other place that essentially ruined the recording the first time for whatever reason. And then I get mm -hmm. a call a month later, just like, oh, the mix doesn't sound good. Can you take a look at it? It's just like, they're like, oh, oh and, and this is the best part about it always, right? The mix doesn't sound good because the, the guy that we paid to mix it didn't do a very good job. Can you remix it? But also we've run out of money because we gave it all to the first guy. <laughs> Yeah, F that. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's it's just no. I mean, it's, it's so it's so wild. I, I remember one names won't be named, but I remember one project very distinctly many years ago um that you were producing um that I mixed. Mm -hmm. I know which yeah, one you're yeah, talking I think, about. Again, names names <laughs> won't be named. And it was just one of the worst drum recordings I'd ever heard. I think like everything was distorted. Right. Uh oh, it was yeah. horrible. As soon as I heard it, I was like, nope. Yeah, and I think they did like uh they did a lot of uh beat detective drum editing and forgot to do the crossfades. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So to yep. <laughs> Isotope D click had to save that one pretty bad. And then rendered those yes. edits without, yes. you know. Yes, yeah. <sighs> uh, that was a that that was one where the samples saved my butt in the mix. Oh, absolutely. That was uh that absolutely. made it sound that that made it sound like it was a good drum recording. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, I mean, there was that band. Um, I do have a couple of artists that constantly are sending me stuff, and I keep telling them, I said, look, I said, you keep spending money on me having to, quote unquote, fix the mix. Yeah. You could spend a lot less money if you just came in for an afternoon and tracked it with yeah. me. We'd get it done right. The mix would fall together in a couple yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to hear. No, it, of course. No, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's so, <laughs> I mean, it's so tough to change people's minds. You know, if, if somebody has a specific idea in their heads of like, this is what it is. And that, you know, this is, this is how my universe works, you know, for you to come in there mm -hmm. and tell them, even, even though they're coming to you to fix the thing and what you're really doing is saying, 
hey, let me not only fix this problem, but all of your future problems. For some right. reason, there's you this disconnect. Yeah, right. it's it, it's yeah. it's completely yeah. wild. Yeah, I mean, I did a uh, I did a mastering job a few months back for uh, uh, it was a hip hop label. Um, they had this compilation disc of like I think it had to have been like twenty or twenty one different artists. Yeah. And wow, every every this is the worst part about it. Every track, it was 21 tracks, I think. It was either 20 or 21 tracks. Um, I, one of them may have not made it because of issues, but every one of the tracks was recorded and mixed at a completely different studio by completely different people, and this all had to sound congruent and go on the same album. Did, did the mixes at least sound good? No. <laughs> That, I mean, no. here's like that's the kicker, right? It's not. It's not that it was recorded at different studios and by mixed by different people. It's that it like n- none of those twenty people knew what the hell they were doing. <laughs> well, here's the thing: like some of them were really good, oh, okay. some of them were really bad. Yeah. Like when I say really bad, like to the point of like if you're gonna hand a mix over to somebody to do a mastering job on, like. Okay, we we all live in digital land now. Like the the days that you needed to leave the headroom and everything else is it's kind of behind us or whatever. Yeah, especially especially thanks but, to thirty two bit. Yeah, but don't give somebody a over compressed, limited to negative point one, completely slammed to the wall mix and say master <laughs> yeah, like this because there's nothing you can like do. You get with something that that's point. like minus three luffs, and you're just like, I don't know what you want me to do here. Uh, seriously, I think one of the ones that I got was probably like negative seven, five, negative yeah, eight pretty, or something like loud. that. And, but not like it, it was just brick walled. Yeah. It wasn't even like a tasteful limiter right. that they put on there where it was just like, okay, you know, I could work with this. No, this was just so, <laughs> so, like throughout the whole thing. And I was just like, wow. So what right. did you do? That one I think is the one that didn't ah. make it onto the... <laughs> Onto the record, and I told him, I said, "Look, I said, there's literally nothing." I said, "Go back, see if they can take whatever they put on the master bus off, and you know, we'll we'll try yeah. again." Um, but for the most part, a lot of it was really trying to find a common ground between all of the different tracks. Yeah. To and again, like for me, trying to load a template up for something like that would never work. Well, oh, sure. <laughs> um, sure, sure. And well, and, and but, also that, that's know, mastering. I mean, that's a completely different thing. Like I, I you yeah, know, true. Fair enough. I, fair I, enough. I, but like, honestly, for, for master, for stuff that I track here, I probably could set up a template because I know what my stuff right. sounds like. I know where my stuff is going to be. I probably could. And, and that probably would save me a little bit of time because the way I do a mastering session, your head would probably catch fire. Um, it's uh it, it's it, it's very weird but anyway like that kind of a thing it was it was a matter of like finding okay well i got to f- try and find some kind of a curve here like you know between eq compressions and yeah. i don't mean like an actual eq curve but like i got to find some kind of arc mm-hmm. that everything can kind of fit into and make everything kind of sound the same but at the same time like everything is still unique yeah. but you know, going back to what you said, it's it's just a pain in the butt when somebody comes to you and it's just like, oh, this has got to get done, you know, 
and uh, you know, you fix this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I didn't make the mess, but I, I will say that I have had a couple of really good experiences with that. Um, again, names won't be named, but I had a, I had a band from Nashville um, a couple of years ago, come to me, a friend of a friend recommended me to do some mastering. Um, and they send me these mixes that um, I listened to and I was like, Hey, this is a little rough around the edges. You know, it sounds, it sounds a little, um, sounds a little raw, I think is a kind way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked to them and I, and I kind of had my, my initial mastering meeting with them where I say, you know, where I kind of present the artist with like, well, so, you know, what are you looking for from the master? You know, what, what do you need kind of, what do you want to sound differently? Or do you kind of just like want me to do my thing? And they said to me some things such as like, oh, well, you know, we really want the drums to sound bigger, to sound punchier. We want the vocal to be clear. All of these things that I kind of like listened to them for a few minutes. And I said, so you guys, you want it? Well, yeah, exactly. I was like, so you guys really aren't very happy with the mix. And I actually said to them, like, listen, I'm happy to do this mastering for you. I can do it. Uh, But I told them like, what you're asking for can't really be done in mastering. So you know, long story short, one thing led to another. I ended up remixing the whole record. Um, mm-hmm. It was a three song EP. I ended up remixing it. They were, they ended up being like really over the moon, happy with it. And, you know, now we're, you know, it's years later and I've done, you know, several songs with them. We're working on a record right now. Um, but that was like one situation where it was very much like kind of them bringing it to a mastering engineer going, fix it because we didn't know how to tell the mixer that he wasn't doing what we wanted. That is something that, came up recently i forget where it was but like communication yeah. is so damn important yes <laughs> and it's so short supply it is <laughs> like yeah I, I don't know if people feel bad telling somebody that they don't like something or if it's some kind of fear or or what it is but there's there's no harm no foul in telling somebody hey by the way this is not what i, I and we're talking about art here. We're not talking about like, you know, doing financial reports yeah. or, you know, doing some kind of like thing like that where it's just very black and white and, you know, this is what Yeah, it's there's a wrong way be. and a right way. This is not that. <laughs> exactly. The, you know, and and that's the other thing that I I see too a lot. Like there is no wrong. It's just like do you like it? Okay, then it's right. Yeah. If it if you don't like it, then it's not yeah. right. You know, it, it's you know, is it different? Okay, maybe, but like you have to be, if you're the artist, you have to be happy with the product that you're right. being presented with. And if you're not, you need to speak the F absolutely. up. Absolutely. Because if you, if you don't, <laughs> nobody's going to do that for you and you're going to be. Right. And nobody, most engineers are not going to be butthurt if somebody says to them, Hey, you know what? This is not what I'm looking for. And I've had yep. that happen a bunch of times. And it's like, okay, well, you told me to do what I do. So yeah. I did my yeah, yeah. thing, but this is not what you're looking for. And uh, like, <laughs> I had <laughs> one client that would tell me like, oh, you know, y- your mixes are too clean. And it's like, <laughs> okay, I don't know what that means. Yeah, right. I mean, like, I, I don't know if I should be offended or or what with that. But like, uh, yeah, and they were going for a more garagey, lo-fi kind of sound. Now, if they told me, hey, you know, this is what, you know, and I always ask for references. send references, guys. And I never get a reference that somebody wants their own shit to sound like. (laughs) So it's like, I really like this group. Okay, but that's a country western tune. We're doing a metal record. I was about to say, yeah, it's it's always like that weird thing. It's like somebody will send me like Metallica and I'm like, dude, this is a, uh, this is a brushes on the snare. uh, Right. (laughs) You know. What is that? Like. 
I, I didn't ask like what music you like. <laughs> I said, what do you want your album to sound like? Like what are th- what are recordings that are similar to yours or similar to your style that you like the production quality of? Well, you, I'm not asking what your favorite band is. I'm asking what you like the sound of yeah. that you want to make your stuff sound similar to. I've often found that like as a music producer, my job in those moments is to try and uh try and understand what it is they're saying when they give one of those wi- seemingly wildly off base references and it's you have to translate right exactly and there's and it's yeah. al- there's always something in there that that you can there's always like some kind of kernel of good actionable information, even from the weirdest references. Like right. if somebody's making a country record and they reference Metallica, what they're probably saying is, mm-hmm. "We love the energy." You know, like okay. I, you know, there's right. there's the the energy and the like forwardness of this music is something I identify with, and you know, you, you can you can do something with that. It's obviously yeah. not as useful as uh, you know a country artist pointing to another country artist and saying, I really like this arrangement and mix. Can we do something right. like this? That's obviously much more useful right. because then you can glean balance things and, you know, more, more actionable Intel. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I had that with, uh, so there's, uh, there's a couple of Latin bands that I've dealt with that prior to dealing with them, I don't think I really did much if any uh latin stuff mm-hmm. and and i'm talking about like you know real like acoustic everything like i don't even want to call it folky but like like authentic latin yeah. music like you know 43 percussion parts you know <laughs> like horns and and you know things like that and you know and for me when i would ask i said hey you know like you know where are we supposed to go with this like what is this mix supposed to sound like give me some yeah. references to what you want and i got references back of stuff that was like done in the 40s and 70s mm-hmm. and 90s <laughs> and like and it was just all over the place and they sounded every one of them sounded completely different mm-hmm. nothing was the same between any of these different references that they gave me so i'm like all right well you know what are you what are you listening for yeah. like when you listen to this music like i don't have the ears I don't listen to Latin music like this. I don't listen to traditional Latin music like this. What is it that when you listen to a song, you say, wow, that sounds good. And he finally like said to me, oh, well, you know, the percussion has to be here. Uh The piano has to be here. Mm -hmm. And like that kind of opened up that dialogue. And I was like, oh, okay. Because I was mixing it like a pop record. Mm -hmm. You know, like I had the, the vocals were way up front. Like I had, you know... Uh, most of the lower percussion, like the the you know um, the congas and and the the you know, bongos and stuff like that, timbales, all of that stuff was um, to me like I was trying to put the percussion together like a drum set. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I wasn't supposed to be doing that. Right, I was supposed to be like each one of these things was supposed to be sitting in its own spot, and they were all playing different things that all complemented each other, but they weren't supposed to be you know, modern kind of that, sounding like, thing. That like congealed so, drum set as one instrument thing. Yes. It's multiple Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, like the, the clav is supposed to be like knocking your head off. And it's like, really? Like that, I would have put that so far right. back in the mix because it's annoying as hell. <laughs> <laughs> or like the cowbell or something like that. But it was like, those are the things that like, and, and he explained it to me. He goes, well, when you're dancing to this, that's what you're dancing yeah, off right. of is that, that, 
that three, two thing or, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, oh shit. Okay. Well, I don't do this. So thank you very much. That now makes sense. But the communication was exactly the point I'm trying to make here in that, you know, if those questions aren't brought up, those things are not spoken to or, you know, spoken of, then you have no idea. Like there's no way, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like as good as we can be at our jobs, I can't be in your head. Right. You exactly. know, I, We're I not, we don't have crystal ex- balls. Exactly. Exactly. Like, like, you know, when you're, when you're making music with people, uh, it, it's subjective, it's art. You know, if you want yeah. your art a certain way, which you should, because it's, it, you know, it, this is artists I'm talking to, like you should want your art a certain mm-hmm. way. And, uh, you know, ultimately it's your record, not mine. Like, tell me what you want. Right. You know, tell me what you want. Don't be shy about it. Like, you're not going to hurt my feelings if you want something different from what my first instinct would be. Like that's, that's okay. Like I'm not precious about this stuff. You know, I want you to be happy. So now to tie this back to our topic, that has happened to me so damn much (laughs) that I don't think I would ever want to use a template because every time I get something in, it's a completely different ball of wax. And I just, whatever, like I'm, I'm just going to start from scratch because what this guy wants is not what anybody else wants, but I'm going to bring something up now before you, before you comment on that. There are certain times when you have clients that come to you for a specific sound. Yes. And that's a different ball of wax altogether. So like if somebody knows you for having a specific type of a sound and they're coming to you for that, then yeah, you know what? You don't change shit because that's what they <laughs> came to you for and you want that. Yeah. I don't have people that come to me <laughs> like that because honestly, I don't think I have a sound. <laughs> I don't think anything I've ever done has like it sounds this like it's just all over the place and maybe you know I don't know I suck <laughs> no I don't, I don't think you it's suck just, I, I think it's a, I think it really depends on on kind of how heavy-handed you are in in what you're doing I mean so I think I think this kind of speaks to the differences in uh our our kind of workflows because I think I'm almost always in the producer chair um, right. where I am making, you know, I'm people come to me because they like artistic decisions that I've helped cultivate on other people's records and they want me to provide that same guiding hand. And, you know, and as much as I want to say that like, yo, I can, you know, make any kind of music. I don't have like a very specific sound or sonic signature. I mean, I, I, I think I must, uh, only because so many people are agreeing to have me produce their records. They like what they've heard and, you know, clearly they're coming to me for some reason. I can almost tell when something is yours. Like when you send me over uh-huh. mixes and stuff like that, I can tell like when you produce okay. it. Like absolutely. Yeah, yeah there, there's there's too much stuff going on, right? <laughs> no, but like I, I definitely notice, um, I don't want to call it like a trend, but like I definitely notice that there's um, similar aspects to certain productions that you mm-hmm. do, especially for for types of genres that you tend to deal with a little bit yeah. more. You deal with a lot of uh, like folk kind of, not even folk, but like singer songwriter. You do a lot of like the Nashville mm-hmm. kind of sounding yeah, stuff. I do. Um, like I don't hear you know metal bands coming out of your your shop. No, <laughs> you know, that's, that, that's, it's, that's it's kinda, it's that know, is very rare. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But like it's like that kind of a thing. Like all right, you know you're gonna deal with like you have the occasional like you know rock track, like hard rock kind of mm-hmm. thing a little bit um indie kind of stuff yeah. like a- actually that i think is more your forte like the whole indie rock indie folk kind of thing yeah i i agree with that yeah uh, it's i i love making that stuff it's 
definitely my wheelhouse, I would say. Yeah, but that's the niche that you've, you know, carved for yourself there. And, you know, your clients are repeat clients and they keep coming sure. back to you for it, which speaks volumes. Sure, so. sure, sure. Yeah, no, uh, totally. And, you know, in, in the same way that, you know, your work in the in the metal scene, like I I don't know my ass from my elbow when I'm making that kind of music. And uh, I've I've called you when I've done that sort of stuff. And I'm just like, you know, come on, man, you know this stuff better than I <laughs> better than I do. What, what am I doing wrong here? The kick should have no low <laughs> yeah, end and like, just all what? attack. Yeah, the bass should have no <laughs> bottom end. All the bottom end is coming from the guitars. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> What? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. How? How? What? Yes. It's upside down land. Distortion everywhere. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes, there's no bottom end on the kick. You Usually you want a big, thick, fat kick oh, drum. No, not man. metal. You want it to sound like... <laughs> but, oh, well, anywho, yeah. it. I, I think, I think yeah. we've rambled on uh, enough here. Um, yeah. So, you know, very curious what... Uh, uh, what people listening to this think would uh, love to hear from you guys about, you know, what do you think about using templates and, or kind of approaching every song completely fresh. I do also, by the way, want to point out one more thing, uh, because people may, you know, I don't want people to get the wrong impression. Templates does not mean presets. There's nothing that I can't, can't stand more than like EQ presets and EQ plugins. I don't understand why they're there. It makes absolutely no sense to me. You know, you know like I'm talking, when I'm loading a template, I'm talking about mitigating the decisions of which tools I want available at my fingertips. But the right. idea of loading up a kick drum and going, let me put on the snappy preset is just like, I'm sorry, what? How do you know, like every kick drum I've recorded has been different. The fundamental frequency is always different. The frequencies that I would want to cut are always different. The frequencies I'd want to boost and how much I'd boost them are always different. What use is this freaking preset to me? So I know you don't like to venture into the um, deep recesses of, of internet uh, engineering, <laughs> the the forums but, the deep dark oh, forums dude so let me tell you this this is now a thing and i was beside myself when i found this out uh oh am i going to be angry you might people are now buying presets no yes <sighs> people are now sticking their name on it and saying this is rapper x's vocal chain and preset for their vocals and that's people are buying presets i'm just gonna say this once on the record if anybody's trying to sell you an eq or a compressor preset that is a freaking scam that it is, is absolutely it's completely because all of that stuff is program dependent that's like that's like somebody trying to sell you I, I, I can't, I can't, I hate to say this, but most people don't understand the concept of program dependent. They think a drum set is a drum set, yeah, a right. guitar is a guitar, a vocal is a vocal. Right. People don't understand that. Like, you know, if you pop in Jay-Z's preset on your vocal, you're not going to sound like Jay-Z. No, absolutely not. It's, you know, you need to have, well, let's, let's work backwards. The same converter, the same preamp, the same microphone, and hey, the same voice. Yeah, that's the big yeah. one. I mean, <laughs> even if you had the same mic converter and everything else, you're not going to sound like no, him. absolutely Unless not. you're his body double clone twin, and even then it's not going to be 100% because, you know, there's little things that change that, that, you know, set voices apart. That's why we can tell two different people apart. That's why even without seeing us, you can tell when I'm talking and you can tell when yeah, you're absolutely. talking. It's two different Absolutely. voices. If we put on if we put on the same preset for vocal chain, 
we're not going to sound the same. Yeah, uh, 100%. That drives me bonkers, dude. The the idea that people are selling these presets. Anybody who's thinking about this, I would it, I would pray to you, please go to Dan Warall's YouTube channel, find the video about his vocal preset uh for his uh, for his voice that he uses to record his video. Dan Worrell has a very distinctive voice and somebody, I guess, was asking him about the vocal sound, like what, you know, what presets are you using? Like what plugins, whatever mics are you using to get that sound? Mm -hmm. And he does a whole video about it where he talks about it. And then at the end says, by the way, if you like how my voice sounds in this video, which obviously he sounds the same in, you know, in every video, mm -hmm. like he's got this beautiful, you know, booming calming british voice i love listening to him um but he says at the end of the video like by the way this video i recorded with a cheap 58 plugged into a completely different interface using a completely different uh preamp using a completely different eq and guess what i still sound the same because at the end of the day it doesn't matter how you process my voice you like my right. voice because of like he's got this deep baritone and he speaks with a very yes. pleasing accent he's kind of got like the british npr voice thing going on and, yes, exactly. and the most important piece of that is the source. It's him. It doesn't matter what microphone. And he proves that in that video. So, right. you know, if any of you guys are out there thinking like, oh, I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to use, I don't know, uh, the the Chris Novoselic bass preset from like a Nirvana record or something, you're not going to sound like him. You know, all right. you're going to do is have what is essentially random and very likely useless EQ and compression curves. Because those curves aren't listening to the same signal source that those presets were made mm. from. The like right. the only time that I honestly can can kind of see uh, plug-in presets being useful is like synth sounds, instruments, things where you mm -hmm. kind of create a thing and it's reproducible uh, station to station. You just like you go to you go to one studio, right. you hit a note on a keyboard, and then you go to another studio, you hit that same note, you want to hear the same sound because it's the same preset of the same plug. Right. That's the only time when it's an but instrument thing. That, that's a that's an instrument. Well, that's yeah, a completely right. different it, it, thing. Exactly. I mean, like, but you know, people are going to conflate. You know, people are going to hear me say I don't like presets, and they're going to jump up my, you know, right. jump down my throat about like, oh, well, what about this? What about that? Like, it's a very specific thing of like EQ compression, yeah, uh, saturation, like you know that kind yeah. of stuff. DSing. Although like, I will, I will, I will the, say, DSing sometimes you can get away with. Uh, there's a couple of useful presets in like the Isotope DSer. Oh yeah, where yeah. what it basically does is like female DSing, and it targets a different frequency. It still makes you set the right. set the threshold, but like in, in a DSer of, of that can be useful. So like I can see where they can be useful. It's really the EQ and the Fair compression enough. presets that drive right. me up the wall. Right. I mean, I, you know, you have a compression preset if you drive it, you know negative 16 dbfs or you drive it you know negative 4 dbfs you're gonna get completely Com different completely, results out of the back completely of different results and and not only not only that but like you know i i see sometimes there will be something like um like pumping drums preset in a compressor and and right. that's that's all well and good except for the fact of like well what bpm was that compressor setting made at because guess what right. your attack and release times are going to be different if your song is faster or slower because if exactly. your song is much fat, uh, sorry, let me, let me think about this. Yeah. If your song is faster than where the compressor preset you need was to made, have faster releases. Yeah. Right? And you're, yeah. if you don't change your release time, you're not going to get, you're not going to get that same pumping compression. You're going to get something that sounds like a exactly. mess because your compressor release isn't going to come all the way off before the next transient hit. If you're, exactly. you know, if, if the, if the, it's the same thing with vocals too. Yeah, Absolutely.
Absolutely. You know, if you have somebody that's singing long, strung out, you know, long vocals, and you have somebody that's rapping really fast, guess what? A long release is not going to yeah, sound right, exactly. good. Yeah, you want you want a quick you want on, a quick release. This, you want a you want a really punchy right. sound. Yeah, guys, learn right. how to use your tools. Learn how to use your tools and and stop exactly. leaning on these presets with fancy names that you don't really know what the heck is is going. And on. stop buying them. Oh my, yeah, because it's a waste for, of money. For the love of God, yeah. If you've sunk the money into buying the plugin to begin with, just learn how to use yeah. it. it. It's it doesn't take long. You could spend an afternoon and figure out what all the little knobs and and buttons yeah. and this and that does on it. it, it it's just I, I could not believe it when I saw. And not only that. The prices that people are charging. I, for dude, I don't even too. want to know. You know, it's, it's going to blow don't. my lid. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, I, I I think that's enough out of us. <laughs> yeah. But no, this has been this has been great. I I loved uh you know I loved hearing your approach and I um definitely uh, definitely appreciate uh, the differences uh, in our approaches because I think you know the one thing that I will uh that I will say is that I think. Uh, we both have a lot of respect for each other and I have a lot of respect for what you mm-hmm. do. And it, I think, uh, that makes one of uh, us, but don't tis, but, I, but I think, <laughs> uh, the thing that you kind of said, uh, earlier on about something else really applies here is that, uh, doesn't matter how you do it. Uh, the, the end result is what matters. And we have a very different way of, of getting to a great mix, but I think we both get to great mixes at the end of the day. Well, I thank you. I sometimes don't feel that I quite get there very often, but, uh, yeah, (laughs) I I, I think if there's any takeaway for, for the listeners, it's that, you know, there's a lot of ways to do this. There's no, as long as you're getting the, a good result that you are happy with, you're doing it right. Yeah. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And the communication, make sure like, you know, when you are doing your mix, no matter what uh, method you subscribe to, you know, presets, no presets, uh, templates, no templates, whatever it is, you know, make sure if if you're mixing for somebody else, make sure that you have that somebody else in mind yeah. and you're mixing for them, not for you. Absolutely. Because that that's, uh, you know, it's a surefire way to get clients to come back to you. If you're yeah. taking care of them, they're going to take care yeah. of you. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, impart your sound, do your vibe, but, you know, the whole time, remember that you're working on somebody else's art. You know, right. if that's what you're doing, sometimes there are people that are self-producing, but, right. you know. Oh, of from, course. From where... That's different th- story yeah, altogether, exactly. although some people can fight with themselves exactly. and figure out, hey, I want it to sound like this, but can't get there. And I think that might be another discussion for oh, another Oh, exactly. Time, yeah, I think that I think we just have the topic of our next conversation. Um, there you go. All right, guys. Well, hey, this has been The Patch Bay. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and uh, yeah, tune in. tune in next time. Oh, 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 oh,